Welcome to episode 74 of your favorite comedy podcast about technology. Welcome to Development Hell. I'm your permanent guest host, Chris Harches. At the other side of your headphones, I think, should be Ed. What? Yeah, well, I don't. Your headphones. Don't, I don't. Don't turn your headphones it. front and back like I do. Yeah. That's yeah. why I don't hear things so well. Yeah, that is why you have to turn it up so loud. Um, so, uh, yeah. so Ed, how are you today? Well, I just ate some pizza. Uh, so that was a fine meal. And uh, let's see what else happened. I played some prison architect, which is a fun game that everybody loves uh, where uh, you have a prison and then sometimes people shank each other and you have to drag them off to the morgue. And um, what else happened? No, that's pretty much it. I had a busy day yesterday. I did a bunch of stuff uh, prepping of various things got up our just our last podcast we got that posted uh with cal and then uh i also uh finished up the i think pretty much on monday I'm, we're going to release a new uh survey uh for 2016 for mental health and tech well nice yeah you've been talking about that one for a while yeah so finally kind of got my shit together um and, but also got a bunch of help from people uh, who have been volunteering with that and got like tons of good feedback and things like that. So I also, because people who are much smarter than me and know how to give surveys in effective ways uh, that you can actually draw conclusions from, uh, they helped me and that was pretty awesome. So it also took a while because I was kind of waiting. I wasn't just winging it the way that I usually do, which is just throw something together as fast as possible and then release it. Um, so yeah. And then regret when you find all the errors in it. So I'm sure I'll find more errors, uh, that will destroy me, uh, uh, emotionally, but I think on Monday, which will be tomorrow, I'm going to go ahead and release that. Also, my cat is, is fucking get, quit licking the plate. Stop it. Get out of here. My cat kind of looks like your new cat. Yeah, I was uh, I was lifted the cat up to show it to uh, to Ed before we started, and then the cat got a little bit uh, anxious about me holding it up, and it either intentionally or unintentionally like clawed me with one of its uh, rear claws on my finger. So I had to toss her to the side. But don't worry, she landed nice and easily on the couch that's right next to me, and she's all curled up now, uh, sleeping nicely. That's good. So she's not she's breathing, right? Oh yeah, she's no no. Okay. Her, her head's at a really weird angle, but she's breathing. <laughs> she's not moving. <laughs> uh, I figured uh, out there was a piece of sausage on the plate. Oh, so that's that what is why that makes sense. I'm so for me, for now. my weekend, I did my usual uh, uh, turning expensive cardboard sideways on Friday, and then uh, uh-huh. um, uh, went out for lunch with my oldest daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. To this really cool vegetarian restaurant, where the waiter basically told me to go fuck myself. I like when that. I asked for, when I asked for some soya sauce, and he's like, "No, no, you just need salt." And he just like handed me some salt. And I was gonna say, you know what? I asked for soya sauce. I said, "Well, okay, why don't I give this guy the benefit of the doubt?" And then I, uh, I added some salt. I'm like, "Oh yeah, he was right. It just needed salt." Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I took idiot. My old, yeah, I know. Then I took my oldest uh, down uh, to where I used to live in mm-hmm. Streetsville. Mm-hmm. My little okay. town where I grew up, and showed her the humongous uh, 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 tobogganing hill I used to go down as a kid. I think it's about two and a half football fields in length. It's humongous mm-hmm. and nice and steep. And my daughter looks at you guys used to go down that. I'm like, yeah, on a toboggan. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow, braver than I thought. Um, so that was fun. And then uh, I drank. Uh, 
I drank some absinthe on Saturday night, and that was an interesting experience. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, and I woke up at like 3 p.m. on Sunday. No, that's not actually. Yeah, what you happened, chased the ferry all night, dog. <laughs> yeah, so I had some of that, and then just did the usual groceries and other domestic stuff uh, today. And here we are with our podcast with a very uh, interesting guest. But before we talk about our guest, let's thank our sponsors. That sounds kind of menacing when he said very interesting. Well, he is a very interesting person. But it, it doesn't mean good. Well, interesting. I never. What does good have to do with it's interesting? True. Could be somebody uh, pure evil. You know, you don't know. Speaking of pure evil, Backup Pro, one of our sponsors. Uh, as you know, uh, your clients are idiots. We all know that. They'll do stuff like. Oops, I forgot and deleted all of my posts in my CMS. What does this script called Clear Database do? Seems like it's running slow. Maybe it just needs to be cleared. What about installing on a new post? I heard MongoDB was faster. All of these things result in them calling you in the middle of the night and going batshit because they deleted all their stuff. What you would like to do is have a backup so that uh, when they do their horse shit, you can say, hey, I've got your back, buddy. Don't worry about it. You know who's got your back? Backup Pro. They make uh, this awesome, high-quality, industrial-powered Plugin for WordPress, Expression Engine, Craft CMS, Concrete 5, PrestaShop. Still don't know what that is. People, I guess, I didn't know they sold stuff online. I still go, uh, still buy my clothes at Chess King at the mall. But anyway, apparently... Uh, what happens is that they got this plugin, uh, and this is not your regular, like, oh, I'll just, uh, go ahead and dump, uh, MySQL and download it every once in a while. No, this is actually, like, high-grade shit. You can have backups go to multiple places, like over FTP with SSL or SFTP, uh, Throw them up to S3 automatically. You can even email them if I guess you like filling up your email box. I don't know why I do that, but that's fine. Uh, it supports uh, database geometry, binary data. It even does integrity checks on it. So you know how you're, you set up a backup and you're like, oh, yeah, it's totally running. And then it turns out it wasn't working. And so when you go to the backup, it's hosed and you can't do anything. And you have to tell the client that uh, you screwed up. Don't worry, Backup Pro can do that stuff for you. I mean, you should still test it, but, you know, if you're responsible. But they actually have integrity checks on that stuff to see, oh, is this actually going to be a backup that will function? The important thing is that it functions correctly. That was a reference nobody's going to get. Um, anyway, well, so Backup Pro is this, it's this awesome thing, and you uh, do it for your clients, or you do it if you run some big website. I know a bunch of... Websites run on WordPress. You think, uh, I mean, not many people have heard of WordPress. It's this thing that's used for many sites. Uh, like I know they use that over at the wire cutter, or I think you're using Ars Technica and stuff. Heavy duty shit, right? 
Well, uh, this would be the kind of thing you set up for them. You get super, super good uh, things for you. I Boy, I don't like this video. Now I can see him making hand signals to me like he's my producer. Anyway, so the deal is this is going to set you up real well. Now, normally it's 100 bucks. 100 bucks. It's a kind of, now, you can roll that in, right? Roll it into your costs. Tell the client, look, I'm going to got you set. Don't worry about it. 100 bucks. You probably spent way more than that on CMS, like expression as or craft, whatever, anyway. But if you're a DevHell listener, you use the code DevHell, D-E-V-H-E-L-L, that promo code, you get a half off. Half off. 50% off. That's what half is. <laughs> and uh, send help. Uh, and, yeah, so you get it for half off. Super cool backup system. If you uh, actually run like real business, you do real stuff on on this. You need this uh, product. You can't have your stuff go down. And Backup Pro is really really awesome. Uh, dude, Eric uh, created it. He's a sponsor for us. Does really great work. Uh, and we'll have uh, links to the trials for all the different CMSs it supports. So you should definitely check that out. Uh, so that's Backup Pro. Now we got Rove. Um, as we know. Uh, they successfully replaced uh, Chris uh, with an animal uh, canine that works there. There's Priscilla who handles all the important stuff. And then the coding is done by uh, some sort of sled dog, as far as I can tell. Uh, so it is Canadian, but not a person, a dog. But handles all your stuff for you. Uh, and they have also, I mean, other than the dog who's the team lead, uh, they have these really top-notch uh, PHP devs there uh, who really know their stuff. Experts who work on projects like Doctrine and apparently know what they're doing with it. I don't. They do. So they come in, do training. They uh, come in, uh, clean up your code base, get it up to speed, put in a bunch of tests, refactor it, uh, fix everything up for you. They're real experts at this stuff. So if you need some help with that kind of thing, that's what they do. So you talk to Rove at Rove.com and uh, a bunch of awesome people. And they, I don't know, they keep giving us money. So I keep talking about them. Uh, and I guess they stopped doing that illegal stuff to dogs. So we're in good shape now. Uh, and then our final, of course, is Wonder Network, who's providing, if you're listening live, Wonder Network is providing the bandwidth for us, our IceCast server. And they do a bunch of cool networking things like, where's it up, man? And, hey, bro, could you ping me? Tools of that nature uh, that lets you know, hey, what does my website look like uh, if it's all upside down? Like on the other side of the planet, where when you flush the toilet, it goes backwards. Tells you if it works okay. All your localization stuff, you can test that stuff out. Uh, they got load testing tools. They got a uh, personal VPN service, all that kind of jazz that you need because look, you're a player. You're not some kind of dude who just sets this up on some dream host account. You're, you're a pro man. You need to get, you need pro tools, not the audio thing, but like professional tools. And that's what wonder network has for you. Wonder network. Where's your network? And you can I, tell Paul, yeah. We can tell Paul he can have that tagline for free. Where's your network? Where's your network? Yeah. So thank you for our always entertaining uh, sponsorship read. So now we can finally introduce our guest, 
please give a warm round of applause to Kenneth Wrights. Kenneth, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm I'm doing okay. Not bad for a Sunday night. Uh, are you guys all adjusted to uh, the tyranny that is daylight savings yet? No. Oh, do you? Have, have, oh, you don't have that. Oh, but you are you're in that that little part of Indiana that no, Indiana does, does daylight it. savings, right? Indiana does, does it. it. Yeah. All of Indiana does daylight savings time now. Oh, okay. Because I, I knew for a while, just where you were in Pawnee, they had it in no place else. No, it's no, it's either been all on or all off. Oh, well, whatever. You dumb liar. I have trouble adjusting to just a 24 hour sleep cycle in general. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so, are you saying you like to sleep 24 hours? <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds lovely. It actually kind of uh, does. Yeah, I just get a lot of energy when I'm supposed to go to bed. Mm-hmm. I often don't. Yeah, I can dig that. Do you ever sleep like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer was only sleeping for like half an hour, like every three hours? Have you tried that? Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of alternative sleeping schedules. I can't remember the name of the one that interested me. Yeah. Polyphasic sleep. There's a specific one that looked appealing to me in college, uh, but I decided not to do it. It was one where it was very evenly broke up. It was, you know, just there was no like you have to keep track of it. It was just like interval, interval, interval. Uh, Enderman sounds like the right word, but it's something like that. Uh, it, don't they make coffee cakes? <laughs> oh, that's Entenmann. Excuse me. Um, well, college is a time to experiment, so it seems like a good time to play with sleep. I just ended up sleeping every two or three days. <laughs> that seems appropriate, too. <laughs> Definitely not healthy. Yes. I need to close Twitter. This is a problem right now. All right. Uh, speaking of not sleeping... Uh, I don't know. I don't have anything about that. Chris, do you sleep? Okay. Have you adjusted? I'm, I'm been oh, I, worried I, about I, you. Yeah, no, I, I daylight savings and no spring forward and fall back. Uh, that stuff, uh, doesn't bother me at all. Um, right. but my, uh, my wife really hates the, uh, spring forward. Um, for some reason, I, I guess doesn't like the missing one hour of sleep on one day. I don't know. People are, get irrational about all sorts of crazy things. You're irrational. Uh, for the most part, I'm irrational, but but I don't really complain too much about uh, daily time. It's too hard to unit test anyway, so I don't worry about it too that much. That is true. It is difficult to test yeah, for it's that. All, it's all integration tests when you're talking about daily time. Yeah, you just wrap a thing. Like, it's all black box. Yeah. Calendar's black box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, reason we have Kenneth on is because he... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to label this. So he uh, he came across something that is right in uh, Ed's uh, open sourcing mental illness wheelhouse. So what? Uh, so uh, Kenneth wrote a blog post back at the end of February, kind of describing um, what I would label as a mental health event that he jokingly referred to as his his spiritual ascension, uh, where he. <laughs> Where he just shared uh, kind of an incident that happened in his life. Uh, so I hope uh, there'll be links to it in the show notes uh, for people to kind of dig into it a little bit more afterwards. So you want to give us kind of a, a like a too long, didn't read uh, version of that blog post? Sure. There's a so basically what happened was uh, I, my life was, was like very normal and stable for a really long time. Um, and like progressively things started to get, I started being interested in more esoteric things uh, related to spirituality and consciousness. 
and things like that. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, just reading these books and like lightly interested, started doing yoga and meditation. Um, and, uh, started like really deep diving into that stuff and I was having a really good time. And, uh, I was really about 12 months later after that, I ended up, uh, being admitted into the mental, uh, ward at the local hospital, uh, where I spent about 12 days. Because uh, I was having a, uh, a bipolar uh, mania episode, uh, and so what happened in between those two things was I, I had bipolar disorder, and I uh, wasn't aware of that, or even really what bipolar is. It takes a lot of different forms. Um, there's bipolar two, which is when you have like like you have an up cycle and a down cycle and it, it's not really that big of a deal. It's, you know, it's a thing that you have to manage, but there, it, there's no like crisis at hand really. Uh, and then when you have bipolar one, which is when uh, you go into mania basically and mania is, is effectively like I was having psychosis is what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so you go. So the different stages I go through is I have a normal state, uh, a hypomanic state, and a manic state. Um, so normal is just like standard I- issue human. According to um, my doctor, that's my depressed state. Actually, like mm. my depression is everyone else's like normal level of being. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I feel really lethargic and I like, sure. don't want to accomplish anything. Right. Uh, but I still, you know, it's just kind of normal for people. Right. Um, and then I had a hypomania, which is something I've always had, which is where I get like tremendously productive and I would like write all the code and, you know, stuff like that, basically. Mm-hmm. So most of my open source that I've written has been uh, hypomania mm-hmm. or not, not all the open source work I do, but like the success behind it, like the tremendous um, drive towards like towards the goal. Uh, and then mania is basically, you know, when you're hypomanic, it's kind of difficult to sleep and sometimes really hard. Uh, if you don't sleep and you like keep working, uh, you can go into mania. Mania is, uh, you know, you can't sleep at all. You have this like huge, extreme amount of energy. Uh, you start like ignoring a lot of social boundaries and being real lack of inhibition uh, and if that continues on, then it can turn into psychosis where you start like seeing things and having all these weird experiences, uh, which is what happened to me in the hospital. So it was, uh, it was quite interesting when I was in the hospital. I, uh, <laughs> like just to give you a paint a picture of how far my mind had gone from these simple little like philosophical ideas into this like grandiose metaphysical solipsism that I had developed. Um, I, I went pretty crazy and I, uh, I had a big identity crisis where like, I, I felt like the words that I was using were like defining what is true <laughs> mm. for the, for the world. So people would ask me really simple questions and I'd have a really hard time answering them. Mm. So I scaled through all these different, uh, you know, self identities that are all related to like, spirituality and the different hierarchies there. So like at one point I thought I was God and Jesus, which made a lot of people upset. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, 
Archangel Metatron, and then I, I went around and tried to uh, help the other an- other other patients become angels. Oh, uh, stuff like that. I identified a lot with Hermes slash Her- Mercury, mm-hmm. who ascended from heaven into hell because I was going way up and way down. And, oh, yeah, and I thought I was a shaman of purgatory, and that the hospital was purgatory, mm. and that I was guiding people in and out of the afterlife, and, like just crazy, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was bipolar mania, basically. And that's what happens when you don't sleep for 10 days. I guess that doesn't entirely surprise me. If you don't <laughs> sleep that long. Yeah, that's wow. Jeez. But it, I think it was 10 or 12 days in total. I was awake and I was wow. like not tired at all the whole time. Wow. That's intense. That's fascinating i mean obviously worrisome right but at the same point also just fascinating that you were even able to stay awake that long right i mean interesting that you were in a state like that that was able to sustain for that period yeah yeah and it's all kind of like the 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 weirdness and esotericness of the um i guess the spiritual aspect of what i was experiencing Mm. uh I can't really think of the right word, but like the lore, it was all kind of lore based, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it was a lot. So I had fallen in love earlier that year with someone mm-hmm. who, uh, who I believe is also bipolar, mm-hmm. um, who is like deep, deep, deep into the woo woo worlds with like, you know, crystals and tarot cards and, mm-hmm. and Reiki and healing and all that stuff. Uh, and so like meeting her, as, right after I had my first micro manic episode. Um, and like, I was like very resistant to the things that she was interested in. Right. Uh, but then, then I had a manic episode where like my eyes were opened to her worldview basically. And mm-hmm. so I like completely let go of all logic and reason and was like, this is the way the world works now, you know, based on all these like esoteric spiritual views. Right. And, and so that that when you take into its logical extreme leads to the behavior that I had in the hospital, basically. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I, I. When you. Uh, when you were released, uh, what was that like getting to like where you are right now? Like where you sort of have a seems like you have a pretty good understanding of kind of what happened how that breaks, how that breaks down. How did you get from, I, I guess at some point, maybe you fell asleep <laughs> and then <laughs> it was like, okay, it seems like he can, he, he, you know, can kind of, you know, get, has himself under control and they probably said it was okay to discharge. Right. So yes. how do you go from that point of getting discharged um, to like where you are now? Let's say um, it took a while. And a lot of it was my, my body getting used to the medication that mm-hmm. I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you weren't and, on obviously, or maybe not, obviously you weren't on medication before for this. No, I was entirely undiagnosed. I gotcha. Okay. I had no idea that anything was wrong at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I got, I, you know, a big part of the, the whole hospital process. They didn't make me take any medicine, which was great. Mm-hmm. They said that they used to do that. And um, they would find that people who they did that to, uh, as soon as they left, they would stop taking it, basically. I see. So they wait for you to, like, accept the medicine, basically. 
that yes. they're offering you. Which could so, be hard for a lot of people. I mean, even in, yeah. even not, not necessarily people who have to get, who are admitted by not via their own free will, but lots of people are resistant to taking medication. So sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't resistant to medication like period. I don't, I think medication's great, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was afraid of what it would do to me. Sure. And I was, I thought that I was fine. <laughs> right. You know, I was experiencing all these identity crises, but I thought that that's why I was there was to, to, you know, figure out who I really am mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, uh, and I did, you know, I found out that I am exactly who I was. So, I see. Right. <laughs> so once that happened, I ended up taking the medicine, you know, and my thought was, you know, if, if, you know, I can take this and, uh, if all this stuff I believe is true is true, then it'll still be there after I take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I ended up taking it and it helped me sleep and, um, I got discharged once I had like, you know, it took a few days for me to be well enough to, to, to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I left and, uh, you know, the whole world looked totally different just after that experience that intense, you know, it was mm-hmm. just very surreal to, uh, to just like drive around town and stuff or be driven around town. Yeah, um, sure. So I like, I would like, I went to, I went and stayed with my parents for like a week mm-hmm. um, while I like, I was still coming down. So I still had like all these really esoteric ideas and things. I was like wrestling with what was true and what wasn't true in my experiences. And, uh, and it took a, so a week later I was able to go, move into my apartment and live by myself. And, uh, and that was, uh, it took from there. I, I kind of like got rid of all of the, the weird ex- esoteric stuff and beliefs out of my worldview and kind of returned to a baseline. And then it took probably two months, uh, for me to like feel like a regular person again, mm-hmm. because I was on some pretty serious medication that they had to take me off of. I Cause I didn't, I didn't like it. I was on Haldol, an antipsychotic, okay. mm-hmm. which is the, the king of antipsychotics. It turns out oh, they yeah. wanted to give me a, a lanzapine at the hospital, mm-hmm. but uh, I was terrified of that one. Cause I know someone who had taken it. So I, I, I didn't, I said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they gave me Haldol, which is like 10 times worse. No, uh, <laughs> it was really interesting. So I was like base fully recovered, but, uh, like I, I, my creative self was kind of dead. Like I couldn't make any music. I had no interest in coding. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And I just had a general boredom about me at all times. Right. This was on the hell doll. Yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. And at one point I actually, I was so bored in life. Uh, like I just like, is this the way life is going to be forever? Super boring, you know, oh, yeah. uh, that I like wanted to kill myself for the first mm-hmm. time ever. I've never had that feeling before. Right. And after thinking about it for a long time, I was like, well, th- the medicine is probably making me feel this way. So I'll just stop taking the medicine. Right. So I talked to my psychiatrist and, uh, he took me off it and, uh, and I, I'm feeling a lot better now. Now I just take lithium. I see. I see. Um, one of the, uh, I mean, something you said that's interesting there is that uh, about that, how it sort of took away that creative spark that you felt like you kind of had. And that that would probably interest you in doing things that making things right, making music or making uh, uh, software or things like that. And, you know, oftentimes 
I know some people will, will get concerned about that with medications. And, you know, they at times when they talk with me about it, I'll say, well, you know, I don't know. My experience has been most of the stuff I've taken because I'm typically dealing with anxiety disorders and depression. Most of that stuff doesn't dramatically hasn't dramatically affected me and typically doesn't affect people super badly in those ways. But it is the case that when you're dealing with psychoses, that some of those medications do have that impact. And, um, and so, but one of the things I was really glad that you said was that you wanted to stop taking it, but you talked with your, uh, your psychiatrist about it rather than what shit I've known people. I know people who are like mental health advocates and always talk about how important it is to do this stuff. And they're just like, you know what? I'm feeling better. I'm going to stop taking my medicine, you know, and stuff like that and do that, that kind of thing. And that's a big temptation. And when you're, right. when you're like, when the medicine gets you in the balance where you're supposed to be right. like, for me, the first time that happened, I yep. was like, I don't need this stuff. <laughs> yep. Right. I'm all good now. Right. And then, but you know, the medication's part of that. Right. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean nobody ever gets to a point where they don't need to, but it's something you want to do in concert with advice from a professional, right? Uh, somebody who deals with this all the time and works with you to figure out what you want to do. So I was glad to hear that. So, so, um, you're at this point now, do you feel that you've gotten back to a productive point where you were say previous to this? Definitely. It's weird. So this part interests me a lot. I, I, you know, I, it's, it appears as though I've had some form of bipolar, you know, either my whole life or for many years mm -hmm. without knowing it. And, uh, but now that I know these cycles become very apparent, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's, um, if it's just that it got worse or, uh, somehow having a name for something makes you notice it more. But yeah. I've I have these uh, I went for many, many months um, feeling great and normal. And but just like, you know, my free time, I was like watching TV all the time. Uh, and then like one day I decided I got this huge urge to start contributing to my open source projects again. Mm -hmm. And then I spent the next three weeks like just every day constantly uh, doing open source stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like, like returning, if you will. Right. And so that was a, a hypomanic cycle. My first one since I got out. Right. And then that just like ended one day and, <laughs> and it became like really hard to be, to, to code, not to code, right. but like, you know, I just didn't want to spend my free time doing it. And, uh, Where, just, but, and, but you were maintaining your day job at the same, at, during this period, I should yeah. say. Right. So you were doing your normal day job stuff, which is at Heroku and presumably involves some sort of, maybe it involves programming. I don't know, probably. Yes. Uh, so you were doing some, but it was like, yeah, I'm not so excited about that, that like, I, man, I can't wait to get home and start coding again. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Like for me, when I'm in, uh, one, one of my healthiest states is when I'm, uh, treating open source, like it's a second job basically. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's full-time occupation. <laughs> yeah, right. And and that seems to only happen for me when I'm in the hypomanic phase. Right, right. You know, one of the things I think is interesting, and if, if folks, you know, we did a really terrible job of introducing you because we didn't ask, like, okay, for people who don't know you, um, I, you know, uh, and for people who are listening who don't know, Kenneth has had, uh, you work at Heroku, and I think I can recall you that you're the, the, super lead Python person at Heroku. Let's just call you that. 
I call myself the Python overlord. Yeah. So the, the, the David Zolke of uh, Python. Yeah. Right. 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 So that's <laughs> good. And, and, um, and then also, and you've had, and you know, this is where I think I crossed, I, at least I started using it was I, I started using your request library for Python uh, back when it was pre 1.0. I think it was like 0.8 or 0.9. I started working with it. And I started working with it when I worked at a company called Fictive Canon. We were we transitioned from doing primarily PHP stuff to using Python. And uh, the alternatives for so requests, so if people don't know, is a HTTP client library. Uh, if you've worked with Guzzle and PHP, it's a similar type of thing. It has this it has a very, very nice API, very nice uh, working with it. And compared to what else was available for Python at the time, it is so much nicer to use. Now, I'm sh- hopefully there's been other, you know, people have ripped you off. But, um, you know, it was kind of like I remember looking at it and look and like it was stuff like Earl Lib 2 and things like that. And it was very, very difficult. It was you wrote tons of stuff. You wrote tons of boilerplate code, I guess. And it was very hard to work with. And requests, I think you would like. You know, Kenneth, you tell me if I'm wrong, was extremely successful and got adopted very, uh, lots and lots of people adopted it. And I think you attribute that because it offered such a cleaner alternative to what was out there at the time. Yeah, it's a a focus on API design above all else, which is something that uh, I see in some communities and in the Python community wasn't very present. Right. Uh, especially in this area. And I think yeah. that's changed some, though. And I think that it seems like the success of your library has had some impact on that. I would say that's probably Yeah, it's the called case. HTTP for humans. Right. And uh, there's all kinds of for humans libraries out there now. I and see. in other languages as well. So it's kind of right. gone all over. And it's been really nice to see... Uh, to have that impact. Right. So, so I, the, the whole point of this was to give people some background who don't know, Oh, Kenneth writes. I recognize that he's such an amazing person. Um, that, you know, if they don't know you, that you've been very, very successful as a, let's say a technologist, as a developer in, in open source and turning that into a successful career. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting is how you describe, um, that your hypomania oftentimes was what drove or what does drive your success in those areas, your, your ability to work you know, hard, to sustain interest, to sustain productivity on those things that, and I would expect that in some ways you tell me you know, if I'm wrong, but basically what I'm getting at is that in some ways that is a, uh, a very positive attribute. It allows you to do things that some people aren't able to do because of the way that your brain works. Yes, I do believe that. Right. There's some books written on this. I haven't read any of them. One of them is called the hypomanic edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to Shanley about this as well. And she said that, um, I don't have any backup data, but she said that, uh, like a, a very large amount of founders, uh, have bipolar mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a problem that, uh, VCs are very familiar with right? because they're drawn, you know, and you get that creative drive and you, you just, you fixate on something, right? you know, it can be, you can fixate on something that's not healthy for you right. or you can fixate yeah. on something that is. Yeah, Kenneth, I, had a, I just had a, a thought occurred to me while you're describing this stuff about how the hypomania is what drove all your open source uh, contributions. Um, 
I mean, as you discovered, you you were basically uh, undiagnosed until you know you ended up in the hospital and, and finding out you know you know your brain's wired much much differently than other people. Do you think that um, your success? Because basically, I mean, you may want to be humble about it, but you've been very very successful at what you do. Do you think that that success uh, is what prolonged how long it took? For you to get diagnosed with what your problems are because to many people it just looked like you had very prodigious output and doing a lot of really interesting things and getting lots and lots done where it wasn't until you ended up in the hospital that you realized what it was that was letting you um, be like that do you feel like it's kind of a weird question to ask but if you hadn't been so successful do you think you would have been diagnosed earlier uh i'm you not sure my, you understand I- what i mean I do definitely. I, it's it's tricky because uh, I, I guess I'm kind of under. It's weird since I've had this experience. I, I kind of had this impulse at one point to like try to reach out to people in certain esoteric communities, and because um, I you know I'm, I'm under the impression that some of them are suffering from mental illness, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know and just kind of like somehow be of service, right? And and I, I, it, it took me a little while to, to come to the conclusion that if someone isn't harming themselves or anybody else, then it's not necessarily an immediate issue. You know, mm-hmm. um, my hypomania for all those years um, was not detrimental to me or anybody else in any way. Uh, so, uh, so because of that, I don't think it would have been diagnosed. Now, if if I hadn't been doing code and I had been going and fixating on something else um, that led to obscure behavior, um, then it's quite possible that I would have been diagnosed earlier. But yeah. it, I think it's all about focusing that that focus on something positive and uh, constructive, basically. Until yeah, I mean, I, until you have the big explosion of a manic episode, yeah, because that's uh, kind of what I was I was thinking too. Like not the explosion thing, but it's kind of like, yeah, like if you're if you suffer from bipolar and you go into one of the, and you go often into one of these hypermanic states, uh, if you're a coder, it's. Uh, not that it's. I don't think hiding the condition is the right label. It's. It doesn't become obvious that uh, that there's a mental health issue that's basically driving your ability to do all this work. And you're right. If you start doing like really obscure things and, you know, you end up in like really awkward positions with people or, or if you do get up into self-harm or just, you know, really, really obscure things and stuff like that. I mean, Oftentimes I'm, I'm, it's I'm, putting yeah, in I'm, a lot I'm, of, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with that proper label, but it kind of seems to me like for people that have these sort of problems, uh, you're, if you're working in code, it, it seems to me it's kind of easier to to look at it in terms that it's not not the huge problem. It could be if it was if if instead of driving you to code and do lots of interesting open source things, if instead it was causing you to do very like self destructive things like that. Yeah, and even not self destructive, it could just be counterproductive. Like uh, one person I know who I think is bipolar. Um, has spent her whole life like planning these elaborate uh, projects, you know, very grand elaborate projects, and they're always launching all the time, and they're they never go anywhere at all. And uh, you know, it's kind of like a life trend. Like so, her, so you know, she spent like ten years uh, effectively accomplishing nothing, um, but still like joyful, having a good life. You know, mm-hmm. so 
and on what, so that's where I get conflicted is, is, is that type of person, someone who needs help uh, or, or not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, if you trace what mental health and or slash mental illness comes down to, it comes down to your brain behaves in ways that are detrimental to, if you have a disorder, it's, it's behaving in some way that's detrimental to you in the existing society and culture and social groups that you have. And so, so, Otherwise, I think a lot of those right. people get get drawn into the woo woo spiritual crowd sure. because uh, it's like a you can blossom in that environment because everyone thinks your crazy ideas are great. You know? Right, it's advantageous in that in that place, and you get supported in those social groups. And there are certain attributes that this is anecdotal, but we're trying to get better. You know, one of the things they talked about was that we're trying to do this, uh, uh, do a new survey for 2016, uh, for the open sourcing mental illness, mental health and tech survey. And one of the things it's going to go through is try to get, Hey, have you been diagnosed with something? Or do you think that you have something? Please pick from this list of stuff that you have. And one of the things is that within, let's just call it, let's just say developers, there isn't a lot of good information. There isn't like, had there haven't been studies done that say, or very many that I'm aware of, uh, that say, oh, yes, it is absolutely the case that this is, a, you know, there's a higher percentage of than the general population of this issue within this group of people uh, with, well, among developers. But anecdotally, you can see that certain attributes of things that are called disorders would be advantageous. Um uh, aspects of ADHD are advantageous in being if you're a software developer. Aspects of having hypomania are are advantageous if you're a software developer. Um, the example I like right. to use is uh, Kanye West. Yes, <laughs> he um, he's bipolar and probably a few other things. He's mentioned in a few of his songs if you listen carefully. Yes, yeah, uh, and you just see the way he acts all the time. That's like hypomania one hundred and one, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, and I, I, not to you know go off on a tangent, but he I, he did have this. I think it was a car accident, and he had head injury. I think he had a brain injury, and so some people speculate that he. It, what he some of what he what he dis, he sort of shows how he presents are in some ways very symptomatic of of brain of traumatic brain injury sort mm-hmm. of like if you ever <laughs> i just know it because i i saw him on a reality show like a few years ago but gary Busey has turned into this guy who like he's sort of like he has basically sort of one thing that ha- often happens with people who have traumatic brain injury is that they will lose the sort of traditional filter of that probably is, that might be a thought that passes, but it isn't necessarily something I should say out loud (laughs) 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 because it is, you know, either it's socially detrimental or it would hurt people's feelings or just, you know, we have passing thoughts and we don't mention them out loud because there's either no point to it or I can attest that mania is uh, that's what happens during mania. Oh yeah. At least for me is you, there's, you know, you, you want to just say all the things that are unsaid. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, so Kanye West does that a lot. Like he shows yes. a lot, some things, but I, I'm playing armchair 
brain injury consultant, which is a, not a, a useful thing to do. But that sounds like yeah. a great band name. Armchair brain injury brain consultant. consultant. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Is that a real job? But um, maybe I'd like to. <laughs> I'd like to get that job. But that's a good band name. That's a good band name. Yeah. Um, but it's my Kanye uh, tribute band. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's interesting. And I think it's interesting in that I think it's important for people. I mean, the key thing and it kind of sounds like what you're doing is that you've identified this and are dealing with it. You can deal with it in sort of a healthier way. Yeah. Maybe, and the, what being you on lithium makes it a lot easier too. Okay. I think it, uh, I'm, it's really hard to identify what it's doing. I can't tell I'm on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I can tell, it seems as though it's uh, keeping me more in the center. Right. Uh, you know, and making making it so I don't go too far to the left or too far to the right. Right. Now, and, uh, go ahead. And so, so that in conjunction with like awareness of, you know, if I do this, I will go into mania. You know, like I have mm-hmm. to, there are triggers and, and things like that that I have to uh, just mentally not, not go in certain directions. Right, right. Uh and, you know, so it's all about like learning about yourself and learning how to, cause there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, right. my, my, my brain works a lot differently and I, I, I would put myself basically into this like trans effectively and, uh, mm-hmm. and like, I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> right. So knowing how to avoid that state of mind right. is, is uh, very helpful. And to me, that's why I don't meditate anymore. Meditation brought me into that trance state. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, I think a lot of, you have to learn what those things are. Most people will probably be like, meditation's great for you, you know? And I, I, find, I think it's great for me when I can make myself it do is. it, you know, but obviously if you have to find what those triggers are for you and, and, and figure that out. Well, it's out. one of those things where it's a very powerful tool and it's yeah. usually really helpful, but most tools can also be damaging as well. Sure. So for me, if I, if I go to meditate, uh, you know, I'll, I just basically when I'm done, like I just start seeing all this like really trippy stuff around me. Mm. Like all all the all the words around me will seem to have really deep divine meaning, very personally directed to me. Mm. And all the objects that I have, uh, you know, it's a very spiritual type of experience. Um, you know, it's a form of uh, of what's the word. It's it's like a, a mental hallucination type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it seems to me now I, I am entirely judging this because I can see behind you. Um, you, <laughs> you have not rejected a lot of the stuff that you start becoming interested in in terms of spirituality and things like that necessarily. Or maybe you just think that they're cool as shit paintings, you know, I, it, <laughs> Either way, but it, I would get the impression that you're not like, oh, well, that's all I have to throw all that stuff away. I so what I had a lot of metaphysical books and tools mm-hmm. um, and I did get rid of those. Mm-hmm. I, del- I dropped them off at the metaphysical shop nearby. Uh, I know the owner mm-hmm. and uh, as like a gift, you know, I was like, don't need this stuff anymore. All right. Uh, and, you know, to me, it was like that stuff's utter bullshit, basically. And mm-hmm. I don't need that. But I can still appreciate the things that I saw in a lot of the things that I love. Like I have, I have a lot of crystals still. I didn't get rid of those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're really shiny, cool rocks. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're, they're yeah, cool rocks. You know, all the consciousness artwork that I have is, uh, you know, it's beautiful. And it, it reminds me of that part of myself too. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I now disregard that part. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I got it. Could you. be a trigger for for me, but it's not. Certain things are a trigger. Like I need to stay away from uh, the female that I mentioned earlier because I instantly go back to that place. Sure. No, that's understandable. No. Yeah. Right. I gotcha. How has you went through a pretty intense experience here that sounds like it took some time to work through. How did your employer deal with that? I, I mean, you're, I think people know you work with Heroku, you work for Heroku. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what was, what was their response uh, for you? They were very helpful. My, my family kind of handled that stuff while I was uh, in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was put on um, short-term disability I see. and I was able to take, uh, I took, I think two months off total. I don't remember mm-hmm. month and a half, two months, mm-hmm. um, more than like my psychiatrist thought that I was ready to go back like a month before I was, mm-hmm. uh, cause that's what most people would do. Most people are like, I have to go back to work, you know, right. cause most people in my area are like, they do, you know, day labor type stuff. Right. Um, yeah, that's and true. for me, like I, I was still having like dip- difficulty typing fluently and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. Uh, and you know, I needed more time to adjust. So, um, Harker was very gracious in, uh, in, uh, and helpful during that time. They sent me a fruit basket. <laughs> oh, Hey, there you go. Yeah, it was great. So, but that's what that stuff is for, uh, you know, disability, right. you know, short-term disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because at first I thought I could just take vacation time, but it turns out that's not the case. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, not really. Not at most companies anyway. You can't. Yeah. yeah you wouldn't be able well, to we have it. like a quote unquote unlimited vacation policy. I see. So I was just like, oh, I'll just take it all off. But no, right. they have a program for that. And I got like 60% pay or something during that I time. I don't, I don't remember what the number was, but it was right. very helpful and very needed. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. And then when I came back, you know, it wasn't like pedal to the metal. It was like, you know, find your flow and go, go to the, the pace that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to yeah. hear that. Um, so at the end of the day, do you still find yourself like, do you feel like you've gotten into a pretty good groove with stuff? Like, do you feel like you're still sort of every day is a little bit of a thing? Or how do you feel like you're like kind of where are you at right now? Um, so a week ago, I'd say that I found a great groove cause I was hypomanic and doing all this stuff uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and contributing. And then since that ended, um, I'm like adjusting still. Right. And, uh, and I, I do, I feel very, I feel very stable in myself, but, um, I struggle with like, like this mental health air blog post, which is very long. Yeah. You know, I wrote that in like four hours. Mm-hmm. And that was during a, I was, you know, a little hypomanic when I was writing that. Right. I was actually going to ask you, I I would guess that was during that period that you felt like I could get all this stuff out and you can sort of write this detailed account. Yeah. Yeah, And I could like write a blog post now, but like, you know, it's, it's very different. It's like, I I don't, I don't have that, like that uh, prolific drive to do it. You know, I I have to kind of like make myself do it or find you know, like the, the inspiration for the idea is there, but not for the execution. Yes. I struggle with that on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's something I'm still figuring out. Um, it's all, but I've always kind of struggled with that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's not new, not entirely a new thing, not entirely. A new thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. I dig you. 
And it's fine to ebb and flow, you know, like I shouldn't feel guilty about, you know, open sourcing every day and then like not for a while, you know? Right. Like there's this guilt associated with that. I know that I have often felt that and have to have people have, have had to have people tell me that it's okay to not, you know, to take a break and to not work as hard and not, I think I've constantly felt that, you know, I, I deal with uh, ADHD as part of the things that I deal with. And that often means that there's some things that I'm interested in. And then I will go in periods where either I'm not interested in doing certain things or I'm not interested in doing anything. Right. And uh, that sometimes it's okay for me to just get enough done to get by in the day, but to forgive myself for maybe not being yes. like as, as productive as I imagine in my head, if I had everything, if I was able to execute effectively for eight hours, you know, fully, and then, well, I've got this other time I should be able to execute effectively and do all these things, you know, and I used to make myself feel like shit about <laughs> that. You're right. And then you get to a point where you kind of have to have people say, that care about you say, no, it's okay. You know, just do what you can. And some days are going to go a little better than others. And, but that's something I struggle with a lot. One thing that I learned, um, early on in open source was, you know, I have like a ton of projects Mm, and, uh, all maintained by, by me. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) And, uh, that's something that I really prided myself on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, once your project gets to a certain size um, and like requests when requests took off, it was, I have had, you know, semi-popular projects before, but not one uh, at that scale. Like it's, that was at a tremendous scale and it is at a tremendous scale. It's like, it's the most pop popular uh, Python project there is. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, tremendous number of users and, and downloads. So, you know, that's not a one man job. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, basically what I did was, you know, the, the tech, the issues were kind of like piling up and I, I just didn't, I couldn't respond to all of them, especially like there's, there's stuff that came up about really low level networking stuff that I don't give a shit about and, but it's important. And, you know, so, uh, I saw there were two people that were, um, commenting on a lot of things. They'd ping me and be like, Hey, you should close this issue. It's fixed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I added them as collaborators to the project several years ago. Um, and at first they weren't allowed to modify the code or anything, but over time, you know, there was more trust grown. Right. And, um, and that made the project much more sustainable for me and for the community. Um, but when this incident occurred and kind of the, the months leading up to it, where I was kind of, you know, having a lot of manic behavior, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't interested, you know, I wasn't at my computer at all. So, um, you know, having those two people be able to completely run the project in my absence, uh, was crucial to, to that. So, you know, reducing the bus factor Mm -hmm. and accepting that, you know, it's okay to give someone else the keys when you can't drive, you know, like, right. And I I feel like there's some stigma around that when, a project is so heavily associated with one person, mm-hmm. you know, it's different for like the Django software foundation or like WordPress, right. but you know, there's probably like a tremendously popular library 
that like one guy wrote and like everyone knows that he's the blank guy. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's a situation where it, you know, you can still have that image and still have other people sharing the workload. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was great. So when this occurred, uh, that's when I fully handed over the keys. When I got back from the hospital, I was like, okay, here's the keys for the CI server. And, you know, now you can push releases to, to the cheese shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, well, and it, wor- it worked out really well. Yeah. And it lets you, gives you time to do what you got to do. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. I think, I mean, that would happen. That happens with anybody regard if, you know, no yeah. mental illness at all. And it's a tremendously stressful to have a project that large. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, this, this, uh, whole thing taught me to just rely on the people around me a lot more, like my family, my, my social group mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, contributors, stuff like that. It's, you know, you don't, you don't have to do everything by yourself. Right. Yeah. No, I dig it. Chris, what do you have to say? Do you want to? I know you want to jump in here. No, no, I'm. Uh, no, you guys have pretty much talked about all the things I wanted to talk about. It's just uh, I don't really have much else to say. This has been one of the typical episodes where I do the introduction and Ed does all the talking. So yeah, that's, that's <laughs> kind I like. That's the kind I like. At least it means that Ed can't be playing prison architect while uh, while he's uh, concentrating on Kenneth. So that's good. yeah. I know I have to pay attention. It's stupid. Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, to me, it's very interesting, Kenneth, that you've been able to kind of, um, after all this stuff happened, to kind of get a good perspective and, and look at the things that were were you know the spiritual stuff that was really helping to was acting as like an accelerator for your your manic and hypermanic because it kind of sounds like it's always kind of been there, but it just sounds like the spiritual stuff just really made it a lot easier for you to go into the. I don't know if worst is the best label for it, but like the most intense episodes the strongest. of, of, of hyper, strongest episodes of hypermania. Um, it's because I think yes. I, I would imagine it. And again, because you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience with mental health issues and stuff like that. So I, some of the stuff I, I understand, I have lots of empathy for people, uh, you know, especially when Ed and I talked about a lot of this stuff before Ed started promoting it. It's, I, I can imagine for many people, it's, uh, getting to that level of acceptance that there is a problem that needs to be, needs to be dealt with. Um, it, it just seems to me a, a lot of people who would go through the type of episodes that you went through, there would be a lot of denial that there was something wrong because to you, it's, um, it's nor- normal because it would happen all the time to you. So this is just, this is just the way I am. This is the way that this, these sort of things tend to tend to happen to me. Uh, I don't really view it as a problem. So it, for me, it's, it's very interesting to hear you do a very, I mean, maybe clinical is a label for it. <laughs> clinical, clinical analysis of kind of what happened to you. And now that you're able to armed with like some knowledge and some medication to help smooth things out. So you're not so high and not so low that you can actually look at it and say, yeah, now I recognize kind of what happened and what led me to, to be in that state and what, and what sort of things tend to lead me towards. Like you talked about, you know, even now after having gotten treatment and, and you're on medication that even now it still sounds like uh, it's not that hard to get you to slip back into another manic and then hypermanic state. So for for me, it's very interesting to hear you talk about how you recognize that this is what happens to you. And now that it seems like you're kind of uh, armed with, uh, with tools to help you um, 
shorten the length of those episodes and perhaps shorten the impact of those episodes on your life. Yes. And the interesting part too, is that, uh, it, the, the reason that I felt like nothing was wrong was because it was all completely rationalized in my mind. I had, you know, a strange hallucinatory experience and that plus these like yogic things you read, uh, they, that was like, all right, that's what's in the book. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what's happening. So like I'm in the hospital and I'm like, I know exactly what's going on. You have, you know, I don't need to be here. <laughs> and, uh, but that's, that's, that's why it's so hard is because there's a, and there's a lot of stigma around this stuff. And I feel like one of the big stigmas is that if someone is acting in a crazy way, uh, you know, if they're having delusional experiences that they're not, they're, that they're being irrational. Uh, and I, you know, in my stipulation is that I was rational the entire time. I just had bad sensory data effectively. Uh, and, and, and I went, you know, I have a weird experience. I'm like, okay, how, how could this be true? And then I would figure out a way for it to be true. And then it would become part of my worldview. And so that was real and that was normal. And, you know, it just builds and builds and builds, uh, for a lot of people they have and for me, everything was very positive. You know, there was no like dark experiences or anything. So it, it went on longer than it probably would have normally, um, a lot of people that have experiences like this, they, they build up a lot of dark stuff. That's why you hear people talking about like there's people following them or the, or the, the cell phone towers they can feel the energy from and like all that stuff. It's the same thing, uh, basically. And it's rationalized in, in their heads. Uh, so I don't know. I think if we reduce the stigma, then we reduce that possibility. Like, you know, I was rationalized in my experience, but the stigma behind mental illness made me not want to have that right. Made, made me think that that's a bad thing, like an unacceptable answer. Uh, so doing things like writing my blog post and just talking about it openly and being like, this is, this is the thing that could happen to anybody and the work you're doing, I feel really helps reduce the stigma on both ends. It's not just on the, on other people, but it's on the people who have this stuff mm-hmm. because that's like the worst news anyone could ever hear. Your brain is broken. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. and especially when you're bipolar yeah all those incredible you know life-changing metaphysical experiences that you feel like you've had uh are are because of a mental illness you know like you don't want to hear that (laughs) that's the last thing on earth you want to hear right yeah okay so let's let's talk a bit about some really crazy stuff which is the work that you do at heroku so as, as the Python overlord there, why don't you tell us a bit about what your role is at Heroku and uh, kind of what your typical day-to-day type of work is. So I call myself the Python overlord, which means I'm the product owner of Python, the language owner of Python. Uh, I'm a member of the languages team. Uh, there's one, there's a, a language owner for each language. Ruby has two. And because um, Ruby is ginormous mm-hmm. <laughs> on Heroku. And... Um, basically we're responsible for everything related to our language on the platform. So, um, for example, with Python, you know, when you push a Python app, um, all the code that gets executed to convert that into a slug that runs, um, and all the best practices around that using the latest, uh, dependency tools and, and, uh, you know, setting up the right workflow for what a Python developer expects. Um, documentation around all of our Python features. Um, 
like when we add a new feature, uh, want to make sure that's supported by all the languages. So for example, when WebSockets was launched, um, we went out as a team and every, every language owner, um, you know, had to write a uh, sample app for, uh, for how to use WebSockets properly, uh, in general, which actually it turns out is extremely hard. Like in the Python community, everyone was asking for WebSockets, but when you went to the community and look at what tools were available uh, to actually use them, there were like no, there was no standard best practice. So then I go out and I make a tool that works really well uh, that the community can use, uh, and then you know write the write the sample app and all that stuff. Um, speaking at conferences is another big part. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good picture, I think. Word. So, so if you look at the work that you do with Python as compared to Ruby, are there kind of any major differences that you have found in in helping the Python devs get stuff up and running? Because uh, uh, as I mean, I don't know a lot about Heroku because I'm not a Ruby hipster. I'm a PHP guy, so. Um, <laughs> Right. Containers, they're cloud based containers. They all kind of sound the same to me. But um, have you noticed like the way to help developers solve problems on the Heroku platform when they're using Python? How does that differ from something like the same sort of things for for Ruby folks and for PHP folks? Have you noticed like because I'm sure you interact with these people all the time. Have you noticed kind of you have to solve things in a different way or is it basically you're taking kind of the same standard uh, problem-solving techniques and just like finding Pythonic ways to solve them. Uh, so I would say generally the solution to the problem looks the same in most languages. Uh, we want like the experience of using Heroku to be very similar on each language, but how to get there is very different, right? Like there's, there's a lot of different things required for a, a Node app uh, to start up than for a Python app than for a PHP app. Uh, for example, PHP has on Heroku, you can choose between Nginx and Apache web servers, and it'll automatically configure it. And there's a ton of code uh, that makes that possible to be able to like bootload um, those two web servers with the automatic configuration and, uh, you know, and everything like that. Uh, Python, you don't have to worry about that. And Python, you just like use, use G-Unicorn, basically, or any other one you want. But that's the one I recommend is G-Unicorn. Um, so, so in the end, using it is, is very similar, but uh, the amount of work uh, that you have to put into those different things is a lot, uh, a lot more intense for some languages. Like the Ruby build pack, you know, this is all open source. You can go look at it. It's uh, is huge. It's, it's obnoxiously large. It's written in Ruby. It's like its own little framework, and it does a lot of different things because Rails apps have a lot of different requirements, and uh, <laughs> and sorry, someone sent me a message, <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> that was really hilarious. What was I saying? It's good times for everybody. Uh, you're just talking about the uh, the Ruby uh, Ruby setup stuff on Heroku. Yeah, how, how big the what did you call it the the what did you call it the pack the the, the build pack, pack. Oh, the build pack right yeah and so for example right now as well I am working on adding support for the uh, geo libraries for the Python build pack uh, there's libraries like geos and proj and gdal uh, which are kind of esoteric and large but if you use postgis um, then they're required uh, and people do that in Python a lot for geo Django. So like I'm adding support for that instead of us like blanket adding support for it everywhere. 
So, you know, it really depends on uh, the needs of your customers and uh, the needs of your community. Um, do you sp- find yourself spending a lot of time talking to, to the actual users of the system or is stuff kind of filtered? Uh, problems that people have eventually make their way through whatever kind of ticketing or, or customer tracking system that Heroku uses? Like, what, like, do you find you're interacting a lot with actual users of Heroku or kind of more like they're like, okay, here, Kenneth, here's a, bo- here's a whole bunch of things we kind of like, we want to implement, um, you know, get these things working for Python. <laughs> oh, no, no, there's none of that. Uh, unless it's a, a product that the company is adding. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. But like WebSockets, for example, is a, is a, was, a, was a product the company was shipping, so we needed to support it. Um, generally, stuff is more community-driven. And um, I, I get... Most of my feedback through just different feedback systems we have, um, escalated support tickets, a lot of, you know, any Python related stuff that the support team can't answer, which is most of it gets uh, sent to me and uh, get, you get quite familiar with it that way. And, um, and people submit feedback on the documentation. Uh, that's very useful because especially on our getting started guide, you have all the people who've like obviously never done a Python app in their life before mm. um, trying to build Python apps and the, the errors they have uh, are pretty funny sometimes. But, you know, so it teaches you a lot about how to be extra clear in the documentation. And even if you do, they're still going to do the thing that you're not supposed to do. But uh, it works well. And, you know, going to conferences, I get to speak to a tremendous number of uh, customers. Sweet. It is. Sweet. Yeah, because I often because I often watch uh, David Zulke tweet about uh, uh, stuff that he gets working on on PHP, and I can only imagine uh, uh, the very strong Teutonic language he's using while he's trying to uh, trying to get uh, trying to bend Heroku to his will on behalf of PHP folks. <laughs> oh, I know. It was hilarious when he came when he joined. I, I was the first person hired as a language owner at the company right after Cedar was launched. We had Terrence who does Ruby, but he was uh, converted from support. And, uh, you know, so I did the stuff for forever. And then, like, slowly, w- you know, we support all these other languages like PHP. And it, it was really funny when David joined because we had a, always had unofficial PHP support. Uh, and it, it was like, I don't even, I don't, no one know who wrote it or anything. It wasn't documented anywhere. Like, it was not a feature in any way, shape, or form. It was just like a thing that worked you know, if you tried it. And, uh, so David came and he just like, it took him like three months to figure out how to properly do a build, the build pack for PHP, mm-hmm. but he killed it. He did a fantastic job. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I'm just, that's just a story. <laughs> cool story. There's no takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah, I like, uh, yeah, I like David a lot. Uh, and I remember uh, the last uh, when he came to the conference that I helped run a couple of years ago. He was showing me uh, videos of him uh, uh, bombing around the uh, Nuburing track in Germany in the, in his uh, BMW. He's like, he's very kind of like, oh yeah, I'm doing 240 kilometers an hour down this uh, down this straightaway, and then you have to stay on the gas and turn really hard here. And I was like, yeah, that 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 shit's crazy, man. He's very German. That's like yes, uh, what's that? That's like 70 miles an hour. Yeah, no, no, like 35 miles. So like for, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's see. I think we've pretty much, and I don't want to hear you guys talk about stupid videos. Yeah, you do. All, so no, I don't. Uh, so you mentioned conference stuff. Is there, um, 
is there any conferences or other things uh, coming up soon for you, uh, Kenneth, that people should know about? Um, not too much planned compared to before. I used to go to four conferences a month. Good God. A couple, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> so the only one on my immediate list is PyCon, mm-hmm. of course, uh, which I'm very excited about, which is in, I have to look it up. PyCon. PyCon's my favorite conference. Uh, it's May 28th through June, uh, June 5th. And where, where's PyCon this time? Portland, Oregon. Right. Where, Finally. Parts you lo- where parts are you located? Are you in, where are you? I live in the middle of nowhere, a little town called Winchester, Virginia. Nice. Oh, you're in Virginia. Okay. 30,000 people. There's like two other developers here. <laughs> well, then, well, then if you have, if you have meetings, they should go really, really quick. Cause it's <laughs> yeah, right. pretty good. Uh, so PyCon, yeah, I've always wanted to go to PyCon. I think now with my work at Mozilla that I, that I I don't have to do any PHP as my day to day job, and it's mostly Python stuff. I think I may try to uh, go to a, a Python conference or or two in the near future. Spend some of that sweet sweet Mozilla training money to go uh, to go to one of these things. Mozilla has a good presence at PyCon. I uh, they're good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, because there's Python everywhere, so you, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to escape. You you would, you would have to rewrite an awful lot of things to uh, to avoid using Python. I do know uh, one of the nice things that they're trying to do this year is get more Rust. Because when when you're an open source uh, organization and you create your own language, it kind of looks bad if you're not using it for uh, <laughs> for, for as for as many things that are appropriate. Because Rust is very much a, a systems. Uh, type of language from what I've seen people trying to use it for. For my day-to-day job, I think learning Rust would kind of be overkill. I'm basically writing scripts to do uh, automated QA testing of things, and that's right completely in uh, Python's wheelhouse, especially with Mozilla doing a lot of work um, with Marionette, which is an automation framework. So uh, I've been busy spending a lot of time learning how to do that because I have to write some really crazy QA tests so I don't have to do them manually because being a programmer, being a tester, and being a guy who believes in automation is like, yeah, I don't want to manually open up browsers and uh, and click on things. If I can figure out how to get my laptop to do it, I'll be a happy camper. Uh, so yep. uh, yeah, so we've been talking for almost an hour. So anything else, uh, or do you want me to, or Ed, do you want me to keep quiet so you two can talk about three D mode? And you prison shut architect? your mouth. <laughs> shut your fine. Damn I'll mouth. mute while you guys talk about video games. Says, I know Ken, before this, Kenneth was talking about he had a particular love of video games. A very particular, particular love. Um. Yeah, it sounds like I don't know. Do you uh, do you collect old systems or anything like that? Mm, I have my. Uh, for me, it's more about nostalgia. So I yeah. own my, you know, childhood NES and SNES. I gotcha. But, uh, I don't. I don't go and like collect new cartridges or anything like that. Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, it's about nostalgia for me, but I own like a bunch of stuff because it's all the stuff that I couldn't have when I was a kid, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, I was saying that I've been playing Prison Architect a lot, and I think both of us, it sounded like we were using it, we were, we played it some really early, too, when it was like in very early alpha, and they've been releasing builds of it for a long time. When it was time. extremely disappointing. Yeah, it kind of was. I, I wonder if it was one of those games that, I don't know, maybe they needed to do this to fund the development of it, but I sort of feel like, I bond it because I've liked the other games that these these folks have done. And so I bought it like two, three years ago. 
and it was in de- you know in development and probably i would guess that that was part of how they were funding the development of it was uh was by selling this sort of early release thing which now has gotten really common but 2 3 years ago it was sort of less common amongst um uh pc games particularly and even though i play it on a mac uh it's a personal computer so it counts um but I started playing it again and it seems like it's a lot. I'm not sure I would say I just hesitated at saying it was a lot better. I like it. And I feel like they have filled in a lot of stuff that was missing. I still feel like there's some, there's a lot of stuff in the game that. uh, It's unnecessarily confusing. Like it lacks a lot of polish in terms of making it clear how you do certain things. Uh, and still does that, but at the same time, but it's still successful, right? I guess, yeah. Like, I feel Minecraft is that way. It's like the most unapproachable game on earth, but somehow, oh yeah, every all these kids know how to do ridiculous stuff in it. And yeah. I have no idea how they figured it out. Well, that that's a hundred percent true. That's yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. My kid, uh, he's playing that a lot less, but certainly was one of them. Um, and uh, but. I, I, I certainly find myself getting annoyed by that kind of thing a lot more than probably I did when I was a kid, uh, because I certainly, you know, they certainly did not put as much uh, effort into uh, making it clear how things work. But I uh, certainly enjoyed uh, uh, the past few days where I've been playing Prison Architect. And uh, if you don't know, it's kind of a... I've always liked builder games, like things that are kind of sandboxy and you get to build stuff and see people run around in them and do things and stuff like, I don't know. I really like it. So I really liked the games like Pharaoh and Caesar that were done by impressions, these city building games. And so stuff of that nature, um, it's like SimCity always seemed like a game I would like, although it always seemed like I never liked it as much as I thought I was going to, but I've liked. I kind of like I kind of like sports games that are kind of the same way, where you see all the people moving around. Like I play one on my laptop called Football Manager. It's a British one. Oh yeah, and it's the same thing. You can like watch the watch the simulation happen and see all the little players running around on the pitch. And then there's a few baseball games I like to play that are more of like the management style of thing where you're just giving them instructions and they go and do everything else. So yeah, kind of like those type of games. Yeah. And so I, so I do, I wish there was like an American football manager game, but there does not seem to be. Uh, But it is definitely the case that, you know, this is like that, except you get to sort of like add new pieces to it. And there's also like you get to build, this, you know, things and then watch people interact with it and stuff like that. And I really enjoy that stuff. Um, and I think Prison Architect has been has gotten more fun in that respect um, and a little bit a little bit easier. I think it especially helped that they they put in a completely sandbox mode. So where you can just spend as much money as you want, and it doesn't matter. And that's nice because then that just kind of lets you, I think it helps you learn stuff because there's definitely things where in this game, if you design things incorrectly at the start, you might just be totally fucked and there's, you know, not much you can do about it. I'm playing uh, city skylines and it's very similar. So skylines, it's funny because I started and, and, and this is probably, this is, you know, shows how lazy I've gotten. I bet I, was so confused by the interface that I just, I, I tried it for like an hour and just couldn't figure out what the fuck I was doing and just gave up immediately. 
Uh, so for me, the experience was the opposite. I tried the new SimCity. I heard Which that was, was not good. Yes, I've heard that. No, was I was good. super excited about it yeah. and I started using it and I was just like, this is terrible. And then I found uh, City Skylines and instantly it was like, oh, this is what I wanted. Like this, this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it might just be that it's more obvious to some people or maybe I just need to run through some tutorials. Right. <laughs> that like and then maybe I would catch on and the game is suddenly because I heard um, I mean, it has amazing reviews. Right. Skylines. Lots of people love that game. And so I was like, well, this sounds cool. I want to do it. And then I'm like, how do I make fucking power lines run around? I built some stuff and like, they don't have any power <laughs> and I don't know how to design it. Like I just didn't even know how to do it. I couldn't figure it out. And that's what uh, I was most excited about for SimCity four was, uh, that you didn't have to do any of that anymore. It was all kind of built into the roads. Oh yeah. One of the pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just the worst game. That's not good. Ever. That's not good. Yeah. So I uh, am a big fan of those kinds of games. And so far uh, I I did start playing prison architect again and I like it a lot. Uh, And so I might say, Kenneth, you might give it a shot, um, get like the newest build and uh, that, that might be worth trying it. Um, But it's still even now. And I think it's like in, it's out of like, I don't know. It's not an alpha anymore. I'm pretty sure. It's still just when you start the game, it just dumps you into the beginning of a new game. Doesn't tell you anything. There's not even <laughs> like there's not even a like this is what this the name of this game is. It just starts and it's running and you have a big map with nothing on it and a, a truck's driving up, <laughs> right? And it doesn't tell you what to do, anything. It just it's just like bloop, there you go. I kind of like that approach because it's what really frustrates me about a lot of modern games is the tutorial, you know, thing uh, when you get started. See, like, I, 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 I want a game to be like Mario where you just like turn it on and you just it's very obvious what to do immediately. So probably the part where it's obvious what to do is the good thing, right? I do like the tutorials now because I feel like sometimes I have to be taught how to play the game. Right. And I sort of. Like, I wish Skylines had been more had like way more of that for me because I just wasn't familiar with sort of I think I'm not familiar with its motifs and such. But um, but yeah, Prison Architect is very much like but I feel like it's a game where you have to learn the rules. And if you don't, you're kind of SOL. It's so it's no Dungeon Keeper, which is still sort of like Dungeon Keeper 2 is still like my favorite game like that ever. And that is what I want. I just actually, honestly, I would just play Dungeon Keeper 2 all the time. Like if that was a thing, like they just made it look a little nicer and there was a little more variety, I would just play that game. That'd be the only game I play and I'd be perfectly okay with that. But it is, (laughs) uh, it is not, uh, unfortunately. And uh, I've been playing that. And the other thing I've been doing, I've been playing Fallout Shelter um, on iOS Again, because they added some new stuff, like they added some crafting stuff to it, which is still pretty simple stuff, but it got me roped back into the game. So I've been playing that again. And it's, it's kind of gotten fun again. They've added some new things. So it's, I, I hit, I feel like originally you could play the game and you just kind of hit a wall where you can't build anything new and it's not very interesting anymore. But I think that adding in things like this crafting stuff has, at least sort of gives you a reason to sort of keep playing and still have stuff to do. So I don't know. That's all I've got. I only have the patience nowadays to play things like Tetris. <laughs> play a lot of bejeweled. 
Uh, oh, I love Bejeweled. Yeah, no, it's fun. I've been. I, I just. I don't know. There's something. I got into Bejeweled in like 2004 before yeah. anyone knew what it was. Yeah. Um. I, and I remember there was a period a couple of years ago where I I would play it and everyone would say, "Are you playing Candy Crush?" And I would get so mad because I'm like, <laughs> "No, is Candy Crush the same game? I've never actually seen it." The impression I have is it's very similar. Very, okay. very similar. Um, Way more marketing added on top. Yeah, right. But no, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I played Bejeweled like on a PowerPC Mac, like probably about the time you're talking about, right? And that's I was like, doing it on the uh, on the Palm Pilot and uh, yeah, Windows nice. Mobile. Very nice. Very devices. Good. Very yeah. good. Yeah, not Windows Phone, Windows Mobile. Um, and uh, yeah, so I really like that game. There's something very satisfying about about Bejeweled. I don't know. I, 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 smarter people than me, uh, who study game theory would be able to figure that out. But there is something very satisfying about playing that game to me and making it's all the colors. Yeah. Maybe that's, yeah. And there's so much kinetic stuff going on that it's like, I don't know. It's shiny. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Like it's, <laughs> quite, it's rewarding. You think seeing things move and they spin around and they're pretty and shit. So some of my other more modern favorite games that are real simple like that. Mm-hmm. One of them was uh, tiny wings. Oh, a lot of people really like that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it is just, I really like aesthetics in a game and yep. it was just so simple, you know, and it, yep. the aesthetics were what made it rewarding. Cause it was like this cute little bird and the nice music. And, you know, if you took that same, those same mechanics mm-hmm. and, uh, and presented it in a lazier way, it would be a shitty game. Yes. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if there's any others like that, but you know, there's a lot. I, I just like those really simple ones. Accessible. Yeah, I can dig Excuse it. Me. I can dig it. Chris, are you still alive? Yeah, I'm just typing up notes for games I don't care about. Right. That's a fascinating stuff. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. I went to the uh, Louisville Arcade Expo. Yes, yeah, so I saw your tweet about how it was like the worst hotel ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was that North Korean hotel that I stayed at. And um, it was like a like a gold farming bunker or something like that. It was, it was huge. This huge hotel filled with shitty rooms. I should have known because it was only $80 a night. And nowadays that's not, that's murder prices. Yeah. That's, that's not, it's just not possible to get a hotel room. That's, that's, you know, feels kind of decent. I think that's classified as a motel at that point. Well, but the doors were inside. So you can imagine, um, hotel service at motel prices. Yeah, it's exactly what it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. Um, but it was really awesome. I got to, uh, I went and, and went with a friend of mine, uh, and we played a lot of, I played a lot of Zaxxon. I played wizard of war. Uh, we played a lot of this old vector game that I hadn't played before, but he really, he was really into called rip off. um, uh, of course, played some uh, Star Wars Arcade and Tempest. Uh, gosh, um, they had a lot of uh, uh, some pretty good consoles there. Some that I hadn't actually seen in person before. Like they had uh, a PCFX, which was a, a actually a, a, a computer uh, that came out in Japan. It was sort of gaming focused, I guess you'd say. The PCFX. Um, I had a super graphics, a super graphics there. So NEC super graphics, which was this follow up to the PC engine slash turbo graphics in the States. And it was never released in the States. And they only released 
three games really and four. Anyway, that was there, and I've always really wanted to have one of those. Um, had a bunch of cool stuff. So I, I you know, I'm really into old consoles and old old computers, and they so they had some cool stuff. The only thing I thought was weird, they didn't have an Amiga and they didn't have an Atari ST, which I thought was kind of odd. But they had like an old Amstrad, they had uh, old Timex Sinclair 1000s, a couple old Atari 8 bits, uh, C64, of course, uh, all sorts of stuff. So it was uh, it was tons of fun for everybody. So uh, I played a game of Tecmo Super Bowl, uh, led the 49ers uh, to a win. Uh, So that was good. Old classic 49ers. with uh yeah i can't remember anybody now i don't ever see the i've seen the video on um on youtube where in their original tech mobile game mm-hmm. they made uh bo jackson uh completely unstoppable oh, yeah. so there's a video of some guy um using bo jackson and taking up the entire quarter of the game <laughs> just running with bo jackson back and forth and then backwards and then forwards and dodging tacklers and stuff and then finally as time running out scoring a touchdown so it's yeah. uh i'll have to i'll have to find that uh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes i'll find that video of that yeah uh bo jackson is a total pimp so uh that he was like the best player in that in the original tech mobile yep uh so it's definitely too uh i yeah. read uh, i read a really good like uh thing in sports illustrated about uh bo jackson yeah and the interesting thing was that his uh his wife worked um in a hospital somewhere i'm not sure as an administrator or as like you know part of their like medical staff oh, yeah. and since she never referred ever called him bo would call him by his real name yeah. none of the, her co-workers knew she was married to bo jackson because so few of them ever met him is that right um in person and I guess because of his level of fame, his wife didn't exactly go around saying, don't you know who my husband is and, and stuff like that. So it was a very interesting thing where he talked about um, how he could be super famous to like one group of people and basically anonymous to the rest of the world at large. Yeah, that's cool, though. Thing where he talked about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a real cool guy uh, and also obviously amazing athlete. Uh, so super cool stuff. So that was tons of fun, really, uh, if you get a chance uh, to hit up. It was in Louisville. Uh, I'm sure there are other events near you, but but yeah, it was a lot of fun to play those old games, and uh, it was definitely worth going to. So, not to yeah, fun. a friend of mine when I when I went over uh, a couple Saturdays ago for our, our monthly board games night, mm-hmm. uh, he has an old school Defender game mm-hmm. down in his basement, and that triggered the. Uh, the terrible thoughts of why don't I go and find a used cabinet and stick a PC mm-hmm. and a screen in there because I have Main this box. awesome. Yeah, I have this awesome uh, old school uh, X arcade controller that would that's oh, yeah. exactly the right size to fit in uh, fit in a cabinet. And then when I started looking at prices of stuff, I'm like, yeah, this project's going to come with uh, however many thousand dollars the divorce uh, comes with. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm I, I found like, one of those <laughs> like someone had made a really nice one nearby, which is shocking to me. And it was on Craigslist, and I I was so tempted to get it, oh, <laughs> but right. I was like, no, I don't need this in my life. 
This is, this is, this is, yeah, not I think when I looked at it, it was probably looking at an investment of probably all told like two to $3,000 to like basically get the cabinet and the PC and the monitor and any other missing pieces to like, you know, uh, just basically you cause you can look online, you can find just the cabinets, you can gut them yourself, or you can, they have ones that are basically all ready to go. You just need to basically add a, a PC to it or somewhere. It's like, yeah, for like, I think, I think I saw one for $3,000. It's like, yep, we got everything. You've got the, cabinet and the pc and the controller and everything you just it's literally ready to go and then i'm like yeah as as cool as it would be like do i have a spot in my office where i could put it like okay i could put it over there in the corner and something else got to move and then what do i do if my wife actually comes downstairs into my office which she actually tends to do on a regular basis be pretty hard to hide an arcade cabinet. <laughs> you gotta hide, hide it from her for the, the next office. 20 years <laughs> <laughs> the one that yeah. I found was uh, 600 bucks pre-built and I was just like oh, uh, my dream come true but yeah. I live yeah. on a third floor apartment so that's what con- convinced me not to also a thing yes. yeah. carrying yes. that upstairs no thank you yeah. yeah, no, that would, yeah, again, you'd have to get somebody to help you take it up the stairs but, uh, so let's see, how long have we been talking an hour and a half now, roughly yeah, I don't know, Ed, do you think uh, anything else you want to go into? Because this has been a very, very interesting and informative episode for me. You know, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you, Kenneth, and maybe chat for for a couple minutes about it. What it's like, um, you know, I'm sort of in a, a similar place where I don't live in a large uh, metropolitan area. Don't live in San Francisco. Don't live in New York City. Don't live in sort of some tech mecca. And... Um, I really like that um, because I feel like I sort of have a appreciation of what maybe the world outside of the tech industry is like a little bit. And definitely, <laughs> you know, yeah. And I was wondering what what your thoughts were kind of on that. You know, if you it, like what your experiences are, because you live in a pretty a real small town, you know. Yeah, and a very rural one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it great. I love it here. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of cities that don't have a ton of traveling. Yep. And one of the things I've noticed a lot, you know, like when you're in San Francisco, like being a developer is in, in no way interesting at all. Yeah. Like, right. which I think is kind of devaluing, um, to the individual, mm-hmm. but it's just cause there's, there's so many of them. I mean, you sit in a random coffee shop in the middle of nowhere there and you hear about Node.js and you know, all this stuff. Yep. And I feel like that's very, uh, I'm not going to say very unhealthy, but uh, it's, I'm trying to come up with the right word. It's it, it, it just, it changes your, your perspective on what you're doing basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're completely surrounded by people all the time that are working on what you work on um, in tech, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of disorienting. It doesn't, it could either like make it seem more important than it is or far less important than it is. Right. Uh, and it's interesting. And of course in San Francisco, there's a tremendously large population that knows nothing of tech. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, and actually when, when I started interacting with those people over there, I started to enjoy San Francisco much more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yep. I bet I but, would too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really like living where I do and I, I don't find it alienating that I don't have anyone to, you know, I have a couple people that I can, that I talk tech with, but, uh, that, that doesn't impact me in any way. I, f- I think that it's a benefit, not a curse. Cause it's, it's really nice to be like, I, I'm trying to, it feels like ivory tower esque, right? Like I'm just up here doing all this crazy stuff that no one knows anything about. Right. And, uh, but it, you know, it impacts them, you know, cause it's, uh, 
I'm building the software that all the stuff they use online uses, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy that feeling. Yeah. But you know, in addition to that, I really enjoy just being away from like traffic and, uh, and I don't know all that stuff. Like small town is, is very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting for me because I live, um, I live just outside Toronto. So clearly very large population, very large tech scene. I live on the outer fringes of it. Um, and I found like in the first half of my career, I really felt uh, what could only be labeled as FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. So because there were so many opportunities for me to participate in things, I felt pressure to participate thinking that these things would be um, good for my career, right? And good for my development as a programmer. And now in the second half of my career where I've spent it, um, I'm very fortunate, uh, just like Ed does and just like you get to, I get to work from home. I only really have to go into the office if I really want to. There's not a lot of pressure for me to uh, make an appearance in the Toronto offices uh, for Mozilla. Um, So I, over the past couple of years, I've become much, much better with the idea that I'm con- I'm content to kind of uh, keep keep going, doing my thing from home. I don't feel like I'm missing out on a ton of things by not being able to make it out to the Toronto PHP users group anymore or missing out on Python meetings or missing out on when there's like a software testing craftsman uh, event in downtown Toronto. I, I literally just don't feel like I'm missing out anymore because I went and created a kind of a support network um, for myself that was full of people just like me who are who are working remotely and at kind of similar stages in the career that I can, you know, I get I can communicate with these people on a regular basis and kind of work through and find out about the stuff that I'm missing and have questions about technology and stuff. So, um, you know, uh, like it sounds like you're in a pretty small town, 30,000. I mean, the town that I'm in, like third ring or fourth ring suburb of Toronto, 100,000 people live in here. Still a lot of people here, but it's very much kind of a bedroom community. Not that many people who live here work here. So, I mean, my wife uh, has to drive uh, every morning to work. She's like an hour's drive to go like 15, 20 miles to get to where she needs to go. So traffic is pretty nuts in and around in and around Toronto. So I, I definitely don't miss um, having to commute. And I know that when I had the last time I had to go to the uh, go to the offices, it's like an hour and a half trip for me to take the train and then walk from where the train station is to where Mozilla's offices are. And yeah, it, it was you want to talk about triggers. It triggered everything that I hated about commuting <laughs> and and triggered everything that reminded me why I went out of my way and gave up tons of things and tons of opportunities um, in order to work from home. Yeah, I think when I got was getting started as well uh, in my career, it was both adva- advantageous for me to be here because I had skills that no one else did. So that made me very valuable uh, to the couple of companies that do tech here. Um, but at the same time, there's only a couple of companies that do tech here. So I had to work uh, some less than ideal gigs mm. before I was able to, you know, find a remote gig that I was qualified for. Yeah, that's always a trick, too. For Yeah, certainly did some of those myself. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting perspective on that. And I, I really appreciate the that what I get out of that. Uh, so you sort of have a different a different take on it. Um, I, I don't know, man. I feel like we, uh, put together a pretty good episode here. Yeah. I think we've hit all the things that we want to do. So, uh, 
So this has been episode number 74 of the Development Hill Podcast. Kenneth, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, on a personal level, I really appreciate uh, you being very open about, uh, you know, about your spiritual ascension event. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because you're right about the stigma. Many, many people would just sim- uh, would only be willing to say a few things about it. Many, many people would just completely freeze up and, and not want to share. And as Ed has been uh, really hammering this point home, um, you know, mental health uh, is a big time issue uh, in every community, developers as well. Um, you know, people need to, to understand that, you know, there's support systems in place. I mean, you look at Heroku, how supportive they were of you. I'm sure many other people, the support is in place. They just don't even know it or they're even just afraid to um, to ask for help if they're struggling and having a particular issue. Mm-hmm. So with that, Ed, why don't you, uh, on a nice depressing note, that segues nicely into thanking our sponsors. We have sponsors. You got your backup pro, who I talked about uh, so much that I won't talk about them as much now. But uh, if you run a common popular CMSs like uh, WordPress, Expression Engine, Craft CMS, Concrete, Cinco, and uh, Press the Shop, uh, they've got plugins for you that'll save your is ass. Uh, totally, because they're on fleek. I think is that. Did I use that word right? Fleek. You, you totally use that right. Okay, I've heard that word four times on fleek. Now five times. There you go. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but boy, uh, really, you know, a great if you're building projects on top of those things. This is a plugin that you want. Um, Eric's a great guy because he gave us money. Uh, and uh, a great, uh, real serious backup tool, and you get it for half off with the Dev Hell code D E V H E L L promo code. It's normally a hundred dollars, or excuse me, normally ninety nine. You get it for only forty nine, so it's real nice. Um, and we also got Rove, of course, Rove, super experts in PHP development. Uh, they come in there, they fix your shit up. Uh, they take care of business. You feel a little dumb, but then they sort of like make you feel better about yourself to say, no, you're not dumb. You just weren't as experienced with it. It's okay. We all got to learn. And they come in and handle your stuff for you. So really, uh, experts in PHP, you bring them in. It's like they're the A team. Uh, take care of your business for you. And then you got Wonder Network, who provide us with a lovely bandwidth, uh, lovely, the beautiful bandwidth that we deal with uh, uh, in uh, broadcasting live. And they have lots of uh, testing tools, testing uh, your website, testing lo- lo- localization stuff, uh, making sure your website works right in Antarctica, uh, personal VPN stuff. Uh, pinging things from 25 different locations to make sure that it's up everywhere. All sorts of great tools like that. So check them out at wondernetwork.com. Uh, they are friends of the show. And I think that's it. This is, I like the silence. This is real good. Sorry. I was, I was going to say something, but I discovered I was actually muted because I tend to mute when you, when you do the things. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so thanks so much to our sponsors, Rove, uh, Wonder Network, Backup Pro. Uh, without them, uh, it, it makes doing this podcast a lot less fun. Uh, mm-hmm. so for Kenneth, we'll have links on, uh, in the show notes where you can get in touch with Kenneth on, uh, on Twitter. We'll, we'll link to stuff that he's done at Heroku and I can see he's actually not there. He, <laughs> this is the disadvantage of being on Kenneth camera he's he sneaks away and say, ah, there he is now yep we caught you sneaking away without telling us uh so uh 
yeah, this has been another exciting episode of your favorite comedy podcast about technology. You can find every single episode we've ever done at devhell.info. Uh, I write up the notes, Ed picks uh, snappy graphics, and then edits and removes the stuff that he didn't like that I did. You can also listen to us via iTunes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate it um, so we can make sure that we're continuing to deliver the high-level comedy that we have all uh, become accustomed to hearing from us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at dev underscore hell. Although when I looked the other day, I saw that or the other day, just before this podcast, that Ed was telling me that someone else used to have the dev hell, all one word, uh, Twitter handle. And we looked and that person's account has been suspended. So maybe we can find someone at Twitter who can uh, uh, help us out and try to see if we can uh, uh, swipe that uh, swipe that Twitter handle out from under that person. But in the meantime, you can find us there at dev underscore hell. You can find me. I'm Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Fuckatron with the U. Uh, Kenneth, thanks so much for joining us. And we will talk to you all soon. Good night, Internet. Thank you very much.